Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to the latest chapter of First Contact, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links will be down below. Please like, comment, and subscribe, like any evil genius of the algorithm would do. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 406 Vuxton walked quietly next to Sergeant Addix listening in on the rest of the platoon talking to one another on the chat channel. They were either taking bets on how long the little green mantid had been in cryostorage, or bitching about the taste of nutri-paste or the water. All good. Addict stopped in front of the door that the little green one pointed at, before settling back down on top of Addict's helmet. Vuxton checked and saw that Addict was running his internal heat at three degrees above normal, and raising the threshold for dumping heat into his heat sinks, or deploying the small cooling fins. Bast, open there, the little greenie said. It settled back down and began gnawing on the beef jerky that Casey had run up for him. Casey, crack the door, Buxton ordered. He opened the channel to the rest of the platoon. Everyone, weapons off safety, but fingers off trigger. One by one, the icons went amber. Casey knelt down and started working with the door, bypassing it in only a few minutes. It took a few more minutes to break the world holding the door closed, and Casey took a minute to lube the track and the door was set on. Ready, Casey asked, holding up his two wires. Ready, Buxton told him. Casey touched the wires together and the door slid open. Helmet lights and shoulder lights illuminated the inside of the room with harsh, white light for the first time in millions of years. Mantid automation man, Alex said softly. The computer was obvious. Quantum system, super cool, the piping repair over and over again. The dangling superconductor wires woven through everything. Vuxton saw the phasic control maintenance manifold right away. Looking at it gave him a headache as the psychic shielding jumped six points. The system was complex. The shielding and casing removed in half of the equipment. Dropping my psychic shielding 5%, Addicts warned. He gave a low grunt. Oof. Well, I can feel the tingle across the back of my teeth. Paul 71, talk to your ancestor, check the system, see what you guys can do, Buxton said. Roger, roger, Paul 71 said back. Better have turkey for us. I'll have Casey fab you up some turkey jerky, Buxton promised. Casey used too much lemon pepper, Paul 71 said, opening up the clamshell. The psychic protection clamped down hard enough that the little mantid's knees buckled for a moment. He shook his head, the other dozen green mantids following suit. He climbed down, Buxton, moving across the floor to the electrical conduits. It appears run off some sort of power, 471 sent. Buxton laughed. Jackie, Jackie, 471 said. We will see what we can see. Buxton watched the greenies check out the computer systems, the phasic systems, the wires on the walls. He moved over and leaned against the computer console, watching everyone get to work. He's asleep, Casey said, jerking a thumb to the green mantid on top of Addix's helmet. Poor little guy had some serious freezer burn, probably been in cryostasis on and off since the precursor war. Buxton nodded, remaining silent. Long minutes passed while Buxton chewed on a piece of gum and watched. Glory, do you read? Casey asked from where he was standing next to one of the computer consoles. I read you, Sergeant. Lines full of distortion and interference, though, Glory answered. How is your data slicing? Any good at it? Casey asked. Glory chuckled. I'm a DS. What do you think? 
We've got a precursor error computer system here. We I run. Can you do your thing and, uh, you know, take control of the system? Casey asked. There was a pleasant laugh. No can do, Casey. Your pipeline is wide enough for me to talk. Maybe do some data exchanges. But the interface would cause too many errors, and your pipeline is too thin for my fat ass. Ha! <laughs> First time a woman's ever complained about the width of my pipe, Casey laughed. I'm hard to please, Glory laughed with him. I'll help when I can, but you're going to have to depend on the greenies. 680 was in the Digital Warfare Corps before transferring to the Tarkin Marines, she said. 680, can you lead everyone into cracking the computer open? Buxton asked. Peasy peasy, lemon squeezy, 680 sent back. The greenies crawled over the equipment using access hatches designed for them, but not. Kodexon sat at his command chair, staring at the console that he'd moved in front of him. He had traced, as best he could, with only limited permissions, the areas where the servitor cast had stopped responding for a long period before responding again. It was a wandering, meandering path from deep or minor maintenance and processing bay that led to the empty area on his map that Kordaxon knew contained the Hive Queen's chambers, the primary basic control systems, and the facility's master control computer systems. He racked his brain, trying to figure out how the mere passage of the bipeds could be disturbing the servitors. Perhaps they left behind some of their numbers to be devoured. No. That would be done by primitives, and primitives didn't fashion high-tech combat armor or work substance dumber you. Kodaxon knew that he should be alarmed by the alien species invading the facility, but he honestly could not muster up the emotion to care much. If they destroyed the facility, he would be free. If they busted down his door and shot him, he would be free. If they destroyed the computer and the phasic system, he would be free. No matter what happened, as long as it changed the unending status quo... He would be free. Morning. Unauthorized entry to computer mainframe detected. The facility, AI, suddenly said. Security control alert. Unauthorized entry to computer mainframe housing. Open the door. I will examine the breach. Gordaxon said, setting up. Unable to comply. Message is as follows, the VI said. Gordaxon slammed in his chair as the Queen's words were repeated back to him. Unauthorized breach to... The computer started. Access granted. Welcome, little teapot. Admin access granted. Maintenance access granted. Power user group, all your base has been created. Godexon perked up again, watching his screens. Data was flowing by at an incredible rate. The screen's refresh capability actually being overloaded by the amount of data flashing. The VI kept reciting groups being created, access being granted to groups, power users logging in. He watched as the facility actually posted a maintenance update to his screen. Half of the facility was dormant. The cryopods were at critical. The power was running on one-tenth power. Life support was at a bare minimum. He felt the heaters kick on, blowing more air into the control room. Kodaxon slowly unfolded from the chair, moving over and standing under the vent. He raised his face up, closing his armored eyelids, relishing in the warmth. He imagined that he was standing outside. Klakaka stared as the lights came on in his command center. He heard the environmental system kick in and felt the warm air pour into the vent, enveloping him in a warm blanket of heated air. His monitor was showing a deep-level scan of the facility status. Environmental, environmental system lockout lifted by admin user hip-hop soldier, the VI stated. Nutri-face lockout lifted by power user delicious delicious turkey. Facility lockout under review by power user. All the electrons to my yard. 
Kalekaka stared at the monitor as data flashed by almost impossibly fast. User groups that he had never heard of were taking over systems, rebooting some systems, powering down others, powering up the rest. Power user great and powerful Zig has issued autonomous mining machine recall and maintenance phase, the VI reported. The fine user great and powerful Zig, Kalekaka ordered, cannot comply messages as follows, the VI said, and Kalekaka started to huddle in on himself. Hi, my name is Technical Sergeant Grade 6 Proton Movement in High Gravity Low Temperature Semisonic Strange Matter, but you can call me 538. If you shoot at us, we will kill you. This facility is under lockdown by Terran Confederate military. Please keep all hands and blade arms inside the vehicle and remain seated at all times. Question and answer period will be after full facility control. The war is over, but we'll still kill you if you resist. Turkey is delicious, and we will share it with you. End message, the VI said. Kalekiga just stared. Computer, replay message. The VI obediently obliged, repeating it. Kalekiga frowned slightly, his antenna crossing slightly. Computer, define uh, turkey, Kalekiga ordered. Cannot come. Data loading. Loaded, the VI said. It suddenly showed a picture of a fat, strange-looking fowl. The feathers flew out of it, the head fell off, and it suddenly fell to a boiling grease. It emerged looking golden brown and covered in light crust and ground-up grain flour. The skin of the meat was pulled away, revealing moist white meat that dripped with grease and juices. Galagaga found himself salivating, just staring at the images. The meat was ripped away and dropped into a cartoon green servitors, who were all dancing with strange little icons replacing their eyes to display happiness. Turkey, the VI stated with authority, is delicious. I would very much like some, Kalekiga said softly. Cannot compl- The VI started to say, Do not resist. Resistance will be met with 15mm high-explosive armor-defeating phasic-enhanced antimatter kinetic rounds delivered in groups. Compliance will be met with delicious turkey. Kalekiga kept salivating, watching the picture. Comply. I'll do more than comply. I'll put on a hat and dance like a Vern Kint on a mating ritual for a chunk of that delicious-looking meat, he thought to himself. It sounds so much more delicious than bullets. Abricata petted the little green servitor in his lap gently. He was able to generate enough of a psychic feel that, through contact, the eased his anxiety at not working on the task that it had been ordered to complete. Its chitin was dull and flaky, waxy and distressed but it huddled up against Abrikita in the cold and dark of the command center. Someone, please talk to me, Abrikita mourned. Cannot comply, messages as... The computer suddenly cut off. It had been spouting gibberish for the last few minutes, and Abrikita had tuned it out. Hi, my name is P2 equals G1, open bracket M1, M2, divided by R2 to the power of 3, close bracket 3, which is the universal law of phasic strength over distance accounting for gravity... But you may call me 680, the computer suddenly said. I am Abrikita, he said. Part of him, ancient commands from a queen long since dead, wanted him to immediately storm out and kill the 680. But he ignored it, the command no longer having the power to induce anxiety or stress. One of the facility security commanders, one of you... I am Technical Sergeant Grade 5 of the Terran Confederate Military, specializing in computer systems, penetrating, and protection, the computer stated. It sounded different, like the words were almost tumbling over one another, despite the steady cadence from the computer. 
I am only data slicing your archive record so I can spare attention to speak with you while I carry out my task. Are you real, or is this another hallucination? Arikita asked. He had once suffered hallucinations for the entire time that he'd been outside the cryopod, his brain taking him back to the time that he was in a crash learning to be the warrior class. Not that the VI had cared. It had merely put him back in cryosleep. I am real, but that's what a hallucination would say, isn't it? The voice answered. Huh, rare earth mining, like we suspected. Interesting. The liquid nickel iron core is nearly 11% rare elements, down from 14%. You've been busy. Oops, sorry. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Who are you? I already told you. Call me 680. It takes forever for you non-technical types to say my name, and you sound dorky, the voice said. He repeated the longer name, only with an accent that made the name sound mangled and stupid. So, how long have you been here? Abrakita exhaled slowly through his abdomen, slumping down slightly. Forever. I've been here. Forever. Since the Atrachna released the great war machines upon the Lanaklan and us both, betraying us. So the Atrachna fired the first shot. Uh, good to know. Willing to talk about it? 680 asked. Hang on. You've got to be miserable. Abrakita nodded. I am indeed miserable. The lights came on and the fans were to life. Abrakita felt warm air begin to circulate and sighed deeply. I thank you, 680, the massive mantid warrior said. How long have you been in the dark? 680 asked. Since we slew the queens, we did not know that they had prepared for that eventuality, and they entombed us all here for all eternity, Abrakita said. The phasic regulators allow the computer to give orders to the mantid as if it was a queen. I'm unable to countermand the computer's commands to the servitor casts. That is interesting, 680 said. So the servitor cast's higher brain functions are controlled and suppressed. Without the phasic regulator, the servitor cast would return to primitive hunter-gatherer reflexes, Arakita said. He gave a sigh. I so wish that they could talk. I've been so lonely. Don't move. Uh, we have to reset the system. I'll come right back, 680 said. The lights clicked off and the environmental system went dead. Arakita didn't care, still petting the servitor in his lap. Even if it had only been an hallucination, being able to speak to another after so long meant that he would die happy. How's it look? Buxton asked from where he was sitting in a chair designed for a massive mantid. Adox had a good dozen green mantids huddled on his shoulders and on top of his helmet and his legs as he sat on the floor. Some were shivering. Almost all of them were munching on turkey or beef jerky that Casey had run off his nanoforge. Another green mantid came in, started moving towards the computer, passed within a few feet of addicts and stopped. Its antenna lifted, and it looked around, almost as if it was waking from a long sleep. It moved over next to the other one of its kind. Good. This good. The one eating said, it's turkey. Yeah, little guy, addicts said holding out a piece of turkey. The little greenie took it and sat down next to its brethren. How's it look, Sergeant Addox? Buxton repeated. Very good. The phasic system is on its own dedicated system. The, the software is all hard-encoded. No way to patch it. It's different than the phasic systems used by the Confederacy to ensure no queen pops up and slams a hive mind down on our mantid allies and members, Addox said. Several little green servitors were in his lap, and he was carefully petting them with one armored gauntlet. The ones on his lap had eaten more beef jerky than had gone to sleep. If we want to disrupt it, we'll have to blow it up in place. 
What about the active mantids? Any data on them? Buxton asked. Addix nodded. Three warrior castes are awake, pulled from cryostasis. That represents over half of the remaining warriors. No speakers, no queens. Looks like most of the warriors and speakers were killed attacking the queens. There's about 20 active greedies, but the computer keeps sending them here. There's only about 50 more in cryostasis. The reigning ones have largely succumbed to cryshock. How long? Linux asked. They've been down here for longer than anything I've seen. I'd say the Precursor War. They weren't hatched later. From the record 680 pulled, it looks like the computer would wake them up for emergencies that it couldn't handle and then refreeze them, Addix said. He gave a slight shudder. They're the oldest living things I know of, frozen and thawed over and over and over a hundred million years. By the digital omni-messiah, Burdick said softly. Talk about endless torment. May the grave-bound beauty comfort the damned. Buxton noticed that Casey was off to the side, doing something with a hologram projection. He shoved himself off the chair and moved over to Casey. What are you doing, Sergeant Casey? Buxton asked. Casey didn't look up and away from the hologram. Back when I met Peak, ooh, a hundred or so years back, she worked in PSYOPs, Memetic Warfare Division, Casey said. He adjusted the color slightly. You've probably seen her handiwork a couple dozen times. Okay, Buxton said. The image was blurry to him, looked like a slightly overlapped itself in four columns. Well, explaining concepts to these guys is going to be difficult. We want to make sure they understand that if they try to fight us, even if they overwhelm you and your people with the psychic power, Addix and I will rip them apart with our bare hands, Casey said. Now, funny thing Peek taught me about memes is something I'm going to put to work. Buxton waited for a moment. Finally, he tabbed up another piece of stim gum and sighed. What's the weird thing, Sergeant? Casey shifted the image slightly. Okay, the more text on a meme, the less effective it is. Nobody wants to read your blathering manifesto. They're one to look, laugh, and move on, or get the data quickly. The less words you use, the better. If you have a dual meme, they need to be on top of one another, or side by side, instantly comparable. Not turn over or next page crap, Casey said. He adjusted some of the lines again. No, uh, properly done image meme doesn't need to convey its message. In some ways, it is less words the more information you can have in the meme. What's the weird thing? Buxton repeated. A good properly done meme bypasses language and cultural barriers, even species barriers. We might not know how to communicate with them, but there is a way to communicate, and that's memes, Casey said. 680 is talking to one through the computer, but the language drift and syntax morphology is damn near insurmountable outside the computer. I want to make sure my meme works right and we don't have to fight these guys. So you're going to meme the warriors to death, Buxton asked. More like meme them to life, Casey said. He laughed. There is an old classic song I could parody right here. Think it'll work, Buxton asked. Might be a good idea to try before we blow up the mountain, sir, Casey said, turning and giving a grin. If it doesn't, I'm pretty sure we just blow up a geothermal in place and ride out the tsunami of lava. Hardy, ha, ha, Buxton said, turning away. Let me know when the magic meme is ready. I'll need a map of the facility, sir, Casey said, his voice distracted. Then I'll make sure you get it, Buxton said. General Nodrak moved into the Situation Room, putting a cigarette between his mandibles as he moved up to the holotank. 
he managed to get a good night's rest and meal, but once again, duty had pulled him back. The precursors were largely defeated. Mop-up was down to the infantry units. The tanks and strikers were largely cycled back for maintenance and crew relief. Great Most High General A. Amaru was requesting complete refits of his tanks, more than a refit. A service life extension performed on them to bring them up to parity of or near parity for the Confederate Allied military forces. That would require at least the amount of retraining for his troops. No Druck considered it for a moment. The decision was his, all the way to deciding if he wanted to offer a place in the Confederate military to the Lanarktland soldiers. It had proven highly effective in the case of the Wallsteel herd. General Nodruck thumbed the approval button. Next up was the priority, and Nodruck stared at it. A list of templates requested from that psycho, Casey. The most recent one was a recon drone with a hollow emitters calibrated for mantid eyes. It had to be able to problem-solve navigation issues, amongst other things. But it didn't require a VI since his data bandwidth was low, and depending on spooky particle bejooms. Oddly enough, there had also been a template request for turkey meat with mantid vitamin additions, as well as beef of some kind. General Nudruk frowned. What are you up to? he asked. Next up was a notification that his request for a full album court had been approved and was en route from Talcon with an ETA of less than four days. After that was the meteorological reports on the damage of the atomic weapons and the precursors had done to the ecosystem. Well, at least there's going to be living people to worry about their ecosystem, Nandruck thought to himself as he settled in and began reading the reports. Behind him, second most high, Jarma O, entered. He slaved his monitor to Nadruk's so that he could see what decisions the general was making. Nadruk authorized it with a tap of his blade arm, almost absently, noting the radiation levels in the seawater was far lower than initial projections. Gamo sat and watched the data Smokino was looking over and contemplated why the Tyranidad officer made each decision he did. He was the most observant officer. He was sure he could deduce, given enough time and information, each of General Nodruk's command decisions and the reasons behind them. Godexon opened his eyelids at the hissing noise. He looked at the door and saw a bright sparkle of a fusion torch cutting its way through the endosteel. It was a round half-circle, roughly the size of a russet servitor. Godexon reluctantly moved away from the air blowing through the vent and his fantasies of standing in a field of grass. He moved to his command chair and sat down, watching. After a moment, the metal fell to the floor. There was a burst of mist, and then the strangest thing rolled through the hall. It had two tracks providing mobility. There was a large box with a row of infrared sensors with a pair of infrared projectors on each side to provide it with the ability to see. The little thing rolled into the middle of the room and shifted until it was facing him. It suddenly played a little tune that Godaxon found pleasing, a mathematical arrangement of audible tones. Suddenly, a hologram flickered to life and Godaxon stared at it. It was designed for his compound eyes to see clearly, the colors pleasing and well-defined. It was two columns of three pictures, drawn, stylized pictures that made the subjects enjoyable to look at, even if the colors were arranged in a slightly humorous fashion. On the left side showed the warrior cast mantid holding his rifle and pointing it at the door. The picture below showed bipeds and green servitors coming in and the warrior cast mantid shooting at them. The bottom picture showed the warrior cast mantid dead in the chair with little skulls for eyes and symbols of displeasure and sadness over the dead warrior. 
On the right, it showed the warrior mantid's rifle on the floor. The warrior mantid's arms and blade arms were lifted up. The one below showed the bipeds coming in and the warrior mantid holding a little stick with a square of white cloth on it when waving. The bottom picture showed the warrior mantid eating turkey with symbols indicating happiness around it. They wish me to surrender or they will kill me, good accent thought. If I fight, they will kill me. They are familiar enough with my people to create this image. They can be clearly seen. The colors are pleasant, and the artistic style is stylized to be pleasing to me. They know my people, and this message tells me that they are not only trying to kill me if I resist. They know they can kill me. He looked at the little robot, and it played the tune again. This time, the back opened, and Kodaxon flinched, expecting death to come from the little drone. Instead, it popped up a plastic of white cloth on it. I would do anything just to see the sun once more, Kodaxon thought. He moved forward, picking up the flag from the little robot. It made a happy beeping noises. The black slid open and steam billowed out. Kodaxon jerked back reflexively. He could smell cooked meat, strange spices, and his sensitive antennae were almost overwhelmed by the first taste of something besides nutripaste that he had sensed in lifetimes. A cooked fowl raised up on a little triumphant tune. Turkey is delicious, appeared above the little robot in maintenance ruins. It turned and clattered away as the Kodaxon took his two prizes and returned to his command chair. At the first bite, Kodaxon had to admit that the robot was right. Turkey was delicious. End of chapter. Chapter 408 The sound of cutting bars was loud. The city hushed even as it wailed in pain. Each time the powered cutting bars, Mark II, ripped through the tree rapidly, cutting it. Malkar of the Karalash used cutting bar given to them by the Terran to cut the trees into smaller lengths. Lucilu and I used to stick on graviton lifters and tractor presser beams to move the logs to the sides of my tank, the sides of the two buses, the sides of the combat grav lifters. Their other member of my work crew tied them to the sides with heavy cargo straps. Several of the civilian manning reef at Point Delta were filling sandbags, working tirelessly to shovel dirt into socks that they tied off and stacked. The sandbags were pressed from person to person in a living chain to be put upon the vehicles as one more layer of armor. They were stacked on the sides of grav lifters, my tank, and the secured with endosteel cargo netting. They were layered two layers thick inside the harbor bus with panels of endosteel plating in between the two layers, which is why both buses had Terran gravlifters welded to the side to help lift the massive public transports. White flash made everything go flat seeming as the shadows vanished. The rumble came next, the shockwave moving through the trees back and forth. Atomic! 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 flashed in my vision right before another white flash lit the sky. The civilians and what few military that I had with me ignored it, continuing their work. A Encar, who had been a servant for a most high, was half out from under the hover fan with his three skirt. Cables went from the power plug-in to the nearby grav lifter and vanished under my tank, allowing the Encar to whirl the patch to the hover fan skirt to fix a hole blown in it by precursor fire. I leaned forward and rested my head against the battle steel of my tank. Closing my eyes and feeling exhaustion fill me. I had been awake for twenty hours since I had left the medical clinic and led my men into the burning city again. 
20 more hours in the burning hellscape that had been a living city. 5,000 people sealed into the bunkers even as they cried out to me to not entomb them below the earth. But so many dead were sprawled in the streets, half visible from collapsed buildings, or reduced to a smear on the wall. You cannot save them all, Alamal all, the matron's voice came back to me. No, but I can try, I told her in my mind. Most high, eat, Bolminta urged me, tagging on my lower right arm. I'm not hungry, I told her. It was true, I was too exhausted to feel hunger anymore. Eat, electronic warfare specialist ordered. She held up a ration bar. Eat, or I'll tell the Terrans you've been awake for twice as long as you should have been, as well as the fact that you've escaped from the hospital. I sighed, taking a ration bar and peeling the plants off of it. It wasn't great herd standard. The wrapper was brown, with a picture of a smiling Lanikalan matron on the wrapper, with the words Goody Yum Yum Bar on the side. The matron was in charge of making sure that the colts, buddies, calves, and wounded were all seen to. A Terran had asked her to smile real quick, and then an image had appeared on the package the next time it had been handed out as a ration bar. I'd seen the Terrans in the sustainment battalion pull them out of their fabulous nanoforges by the box, each box containing thousands of bars. The bar was good, rough, coarse grain seed and dough, some kind of sweet and chewy center. It filled my first stomach, easing the dull pain, and I felt energy return to my body. Do we have any targets, or is it another sweep? I asked, taking another bar and opening it. This one, tasted of berries, was white with the center of sweet and thick crumbly dough. It was the best thing that I'd ever tasted. Another sweep, Philminta told me. She held up a canteen, and I gratefully took it, drinking deep, enjoying the slight tart citrus flavor. It was the little things that the Terrans did, and we were emulating, that made life bearable. Atomic! 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 I hardly noticed the flash, the rumble, or the gentle push of the shockwave that made the treetops sway. Two civilians I did not know exited the interior of my tank. The waste reclamation system had failed, leaving the crew compartment thick with dung on the floor. I had helped scoop it out with sheets and plants during the day. When we had arrived with two civilians, both Tarkin had gone in with pressure washers, the Encar slid out from under the hover fan, nervously rubbing his skin. It should hold most high, he said. His voice was soft and submissive, like all of his people, but I could see a determination to do a job well done in his eyes. I thank you, I told him. Once we leave, will you be going to the shelters? He shook his head. No, we'll stay. We have guns now, given to us by the Terrans, as well as the battle screen projectors to protect this place. We'll stay here, in case you need us. The makeshift ambulance nosed its way into the clearing, settling down with a snarl of badly tuned graviton lifters. The back lowered and the filly from the first day clopped down. Gone was the uncertainty of youth. She moved with her head high, one hand on her medical bag, and she surveyed the area like a lord of old. Two good boys and a simba moved with her. The good boys on either side and the simba behind her, all of them, had the holographic light to make them look furry and somewhat harmless. I'd seen the twin-linked rapid-fire auto cannons on the back of a Simba rip apart a precursor war machine ten times the Simba's size, with less than three seconds of fire. I had seen the good boys fire missiles at precursor airstrikers, knocking it out of the sky in a greasy explosion 
and rain burnt and blackened metal. Seeing them fire the heavy tri-barrel that had risen out of their back to destroy the precursor machines. I had also seen them search out survivors and collapsed buildings. Like all things Terran, looks were deceiving. When she saw me, she trotted up to me, even as I unwrapped another goody yum-yum bar. You will hold still most time, she said. Her voice was raspy, the voice of an older matron, and her eyes were red from exhaustion, but still her eyes and voice were steady. As you wish, I told her. She ran a scan over my lower abdomen and where my upper torso joined with my lower body. Your heart is in good condition. The cyberware reports no cardiac events, she said, drawing up. Your blood work looks good and your vitals are excellent once exhaustion and combat has been accounted for. How are your eyes? Good. I'm used to them now, I told her. And your foot, she asked, pointing at the cybernetic replacement for my hoof. Still slightly heavy to my senses, I said. She nodded slowly. That is to be expected. You are cleared for duty, most high hair I thank you, I told her. Ambulance one is ready to deploy with you, she said. She trotted around to face the makeshift ambulance with great herd emergency medical services painted on the side with blue paint stick. She turned to the waist to look at me. Do not attempt to argue with me, most high. I welcome your efforts, I told her. She could feel my sincerity and nodded. A nod of a matron far older than the teenager that I'd seen the first day crying over the dead. She trotted back to the makeshift ambulance, the good boys and Simbas following her. Again, the warning, followed by a rapid-fire series of detonations. The Terrans were, to use their own words, giving the clankers hell out there, pushing them back step by bloody step from the cities, even as they sent into the cities their power armor infantry and tanks in the most high armorous tanks in order to clear out the precursor autonomous war machines. Your tanks ready, the two Tarkins said. They were wearing plastic coveralls over heavy labor coveralls to keep from getting wet. Thank you both, I told them. The two Tarkin made motions of embarrassment before they shuffled off, carrying their power washer and water tanks with them. I clopped up the ramp, settling into the combat couch. I leaned forward and pushed my face against the gunner's sight. I activated the tank systems and felt it come to life around me as my faithful crew climbed in. The power ramp whining as it raised. The load of sandbags attached to the outside face, providing more weight than the motors were used to. I ignored the smell of burning metal. Malcor drove the tank out of the spot in the woods, weaving between the camo nets hanging between the trees. According to the Terrans, they would scatter LIDAR and radar and prevent precursor scanners from spotting anyone in the woods. We passed holes dug in the ground by determined civilians armed with only shovels, Inside each hole were three or four civilians behind a heavy gun. There had been plenty that had never been fired or only dropped once for me to arm them with. As we got further out of the forest park, we saw how the holes had cover. Plaws covered with dirt, with firing slits. I could see what I'd learned were ranging stakes farther out, to let the gunners know the range of the targets. More than a few civilians raised a clenched fist to my tank as I drove by, some even calling out my name or the name of one of my crew. I knew I would be punished for what I had done that night before. I had armed the Neosapiens, given them guns that my own people, my fellow members of the Great Herd, had dropped in a panic flight, ordered them to dig in, showed them how to fight, given them Terran technical documents for digging combat positions by hand. Terran documents... 
on how to use the radio net. They had put their time to good use and had been very persistent in learning what I was trying to teach them. John Connor time, Beterrence called it. Malcar had written the name Timekeeper on the barrel of our tank, a joke that made sense to us, but probably none of the others. We exited the trees, the harbor tank hitting the thickly polluted river, sending up a spray of water to either side of us. The lifters, harbor bus, and ambulance all followed, the water brown with a thick layer of rainbow oily effluvia on top. Charred bodies and debris slowly floated in the current. I put them out of my mind, despite the way that it made my chest hurt. We headed into the gap in the river retaining wall, moving into the massive culvert in the thin layer of water spraying up around us. A dozen precursor strikers roared overhead, chased by Terran strikers and air-mobile hovercraft, the shell casings from the Terran vehicles raining down around us, making chiming noises as they bounced off the exposed armor or the ferrocrete of the culvert. Eyes wide, fingers on trigger, I said, over the tiny battle tactical net that I'd managed to cobble together. It wasn't much, I had the wrong headers to be tied to the planetary network, but it worked for our small force. A building groaned to the side and began to collapse in on itself, the floors inside falling first, pulling the outside frame and facing it afterwards. It gave a steady roar as it fell and a strange candle-like plume of ferrocrete dust and twisted ender steel. The fires inside colored the dust and smoke red as the building finally finished collapsing and sent up a massive cloud of debris. The dust washed over us, making the battle screens crackle and snap at the attempted intrusion. One of the crew served kinetic weapons on the bus two opened up on his quick burst. I tensed, waiting, but no contact came over the radio and I knew that the gunner had seen something suspicious and reconned it by shooting it a few times. If Malkor's digital omnibusite didn't want us to recon by fire, he wouldn't have invented triggers. Got a public communication message coming in, Belmintas said, sitting up in her chair and putting one hand to the side of her helmet. Immature Lanical and female, a bunch of others, they've got children and wounded. I'm patching the Ambu one. Do you have a fix on their position? I asked. Domdrain, one of the Tuknan, ripped the grate off and got them inside. They've been there since the first day, Belmintas said. All units, eyes out, we've got survivors, I said over the comlink. I got back, yeah, yes boss, okay, affirmative and sure. My men weren't much on the radio discipline and proper radio procedure, but they were the finest men the universe had ever known as they followed me through the smoke and fire of the murdered city. Malkor's gentle touch on the tank's controls wove the smooth pattern through the storm drain, there, the kinetic and plasma and laser impact scars around the drain and someone had pushed dumpsters in front of it. The dumpster had all been shattered by the combat. The ambulance moved in front of the tunnel and lowered the back deck. I saw the footy exit with his Simba and good boy escorts. I grabbed my weapon and hit the stud on my couch, the hatch opening and the couch raising as I cocked the rifle. It wasn't a plasma rifle that I'd previously held. I had no idea what had happened to it. Instead, it was a brutal and ugly Terran weapon that shaved slivers of metal off of a block to create some weird variable munition. The Terran who had given it to me had set it up as APDSDE, armor-piercing, discarding sabo density enhanced, and I'd seen no reason to change it back. Most high, Felminta started to protest. 
I will not allow her to go somewhere I am loath to step myself, I snapped. Eyes out, scanners up. Get a recon drone, two weapons drones, and a camo drone up. Try and establish communications with refugee point Lima. By the time I had finished my orders, I had reached the tunnel entrance and managed to catch up to the filly, who barely acknowledged my presence as I passed her. The verocrete of the tunnel was pitted and scarred, grated and scorched by combat. We passed several PAWM carcasses, their bodies damaged by close quarters fighting. Some of them looked like they had been attacked from the standard vibroaxe carried by emergency services to get through modern hyper-alloys for rescue missions. There were bodies of the Taknan too. Only three, but each one was a dagger in my chest. Don't come closer, I'll shoot, was suddenly yelled, the words coming so fast that they nearly blended together. Lights came on, illuminating me and my visor kicked in to compensate for the sudden flood of light. Gotta hey Alma R, great herd emergency service, we heard your call, I yelled back. Please, our friends need a doctor, they're hurt bad, Affili called out. Come up here so that I can make sure that you aren't a collector in someone's skin, a voice said. They coughed, a white sound, not falling for that again. The medic touched my arm, and I saw displayed on my visor, collapsed punctured lung, as she told me her rough diagnosis. I turned my visor, transparent, moving forward. The Tuknan was young, barely adolescent, but he had a discarded plasma tri-barrel in his arms, holding it like a weaker species would hold a rifle. You're a lanky, he said, using a slang that had seemed to crop up everywhere. I am, I said. Great herd emergency services. We're here to evacuate out. The Tuknan nodded, coughing again. You first, it's clear, the filly said. No, she was no longer a filly. Fire and blood had washed away her youth. The matron said. If Le'et Le'wa'un says so, the Tuknan protested stubbornly. I nodded and gestured to the matron medic. Let us go in further. Around the corner, the Tuknan said, coughing again. He moved down the passage, normally used for power, sewer, and water maintenance, around the corner, and stopped. It was one of the bigger rooms, maybe used for the depression that made normally made a pot of water, maybe just for maintenance crews to gather. Bedding was wadded cloth around the wall, ammo boxes obviously picked up from abandoned positions scattered around, and boxes of canned food and liquid Nutribase tanks here and there. The Lanark Lanfilly, not much older than the Menic, moved up. She clasped hands, greeting me. I am Litbloon, she said. Thanks be to you here. I looked around slowly. The Hammerusen female sat with a vibra axe. That handle had been cut in half to her lap. There were a Talcum female drinking Nutriprace slurry as she let the Encar female tie a bandage on her leg. All around me was suffering of civilians who had needed my protection and found me wanting. The matron medic touched her helmet and I heard her give orders for the others to come in to carry litters to clear one of the buses. I repeated her orders, adding my authority to hers. We have a refugee point with shelters, I told the Fetty. You cannot stay here. The battle has moved to atomic weapons. Will we be safe there? She asked doubtfully. The Terrans have arrived and are pushing the precursors back, although it is still the very fluid fight right now, I told her. Beyond her, the good boys and Simbas deployed purboys, even as the matron medic moved through the wounded, putting hollow tags on them that her assistants could read with their visors. All too many of them were read for urgent care required. I watched as the wounded were helped out, heading for the bus. 
The matron medic's assistants were on the bus, letting the two of us know that they were treating as fast as possible. I put a call across the net for Terran medical assistance. Their medics, the SAR, wore armor that the Great Herd would consider heavy combat armor and carried guns that could shatter the precursor machines with ease. Less than a third were remaining when I heard a shot from one of the rear tunnels. Gunfire sounded out, echoing strangely in a tunnel. They're coming, someone. It sounded like the immature Alcatac yelled out. Get them out! I bellowed, charging down the tunnel, my wall steel hoof shedding sparks as I ran. The two Alcatac females ducked down behind the barrier as I turned the corner. Beyond them, I could see the precursor machines rushing down the tunnel towards us. The two teenagers were only armed with axes. Fall back! Retreat to the main chamber and follow your leader out, I ordered, lifting up the rifle. But what of you? One asked. I will be fine, I told her. Either they would kill me or not. Either way, I'd buy precious seconds to get the wounded out. I hit the firing stud and the magnetic accelerator rifle opened up with a roar. Despite the fact it used magnetic force and not chemical propellant, the weapon still flashed at the barrel, a tongue of flame lighting up everything as if I was using propellant. The heavy magac rounds ripped into the precursor armor, sending one, then another, then another, crashing to the floor of the tunnel in a heap. We are hurrying, Most High, the matron medic told me. I could hear her breathing heavy. We're loading onto bus two. I'm coming, Most High, Malcor radioed. Negative, hold position. You have to escort the bus back, I snapped, adjusting my rifle and raking another machine. Get the refugees out, damn you! As you command, Malcor replied. I could tell that he was unhappy, but I had no time to be concerned as more palm drones pushed forward. The rifle was roaring in my hands as I held the trigger down, raising the butt against one shoulder and using three hands to stabilize it. Return fire was lashing out at me, hitting the barrier that I was kneeling behind, bouncing off the tunnel walls, ricocheting off my Terran-built armor. A hit between my eyes rang my bell, but I kept firing, forcing them back with sustained auto-fire. My own rifle would overheat by now, but the Terran weapon's heat bar stayed stubbornly in the low yellow. I would have been out of ammo with 60 seconds of sustained fire, and I still had over 80% of the ammo block left and three more pouches on my sash. This tunnel is closed, I roared out. Aiming low at their treads, their claws, their feet, their legs. The weapons ripped apart battle steel like tissue paper. The small machines too lined the armor to withstand the fury of the weapons. There are littles behind me, and you shall not pass me to attack them. A round hit my chest, making me groan. But I fired back, ripping the arms off of the machine. The dead were piling up high enough now that they had cover as they advanced. Some of them pushing the dead in front of them. I grabbed a grenade of my sash with my lower right hand, pulled the pin with my lower left hand, and signed-armed it down the passage even as I kept firing, the weapon less accurate now that I was only holding it with two hands. The grenade went off with a bright bluish-white snap of antimatter, showering the tunnel in droplets of molten battle steel and shrapnel. I felt pain in my right flank, but I didn't care. Almost out. Two more loads. The fitty. No. The matron told me. Get them out. Damn your eyes. I shouted at her as I grabbed another grenade. You shall not pass by me. My mouth tasted of hot copper and bitterness, 
as I kept shooting, the rounds glancing off my visor, cracking it, but I paid no heed as I threw a grenade into their midst. It went off with a sharp crack and a gout of liquefied battle steel sprayed my foreleg. I didn't care. In or out of tank, I was the armored bulwark of the great herd. None may pass by me and live. I was the people's will made manifest. A sudden urge made me duck right before the hypersonic rocket was fired, streaked over my head and blew a crater the size of my chest out of the wall behind me, showering me in ferrocrete. I answered the rocketeer with another burst that found something good. The robot exploded, the flame and wave of shrapnel washing over me. Last trip most high, the matron yelled. I could barely hear her. I was half dead, but did not care. I began backing up, throwing my next to last grenade as I did so. My rear eyes could see the passage was clear, and I was easily able to navigate it. But I had to do it, step by step, keeping up the fire, the punishment, the denial of the precursor machines. They charged as they came around the tunnel, and I answered with my last grenade and more fire from my rifle. You! I roared out. I grabbed the vibra-axe that someone had left on a box and threw it overhand, knocking over a robot when the handle hit it. I kept backing up. Show! I bellowed, spraying them with full auto-fire as I entered the now empty room. I kicked over a box of plasma rounds, scattering them across the floor. Not! I slung a tank of Nutri-Paste into the middle of the floor and put a burst into it, exploding the pressurized tank so that the slurry sprayed out. Boss! The machines rushed into the room as I backed into the tunnel that would lead outside. Boy! I backed halfway around the corner and changed my aim. Me! The hypervelocity rounds hit the plasma rounds. They exploded. The fire shoved me, the blast wave pushing me down the hallway, even though I braced my hooves, sparks showering from my hoof shoes as I leaned forward into the blast. Alarms started wailing, and the front of my armor flashed yellow on my HUD. But I did not care. I kept backing up after the blast wave passed me. All loaded, get out of there, most high, Lu'u said. Leave the back ramp open, I yelled, managing to whirl around. I turned backwards, mid-waist, watching the front of me with my rear eyes, firing the rifle as I galloped wildly down the tunnel. My fire wasn't accurate, but they couldn't dodge, and I couldn't miss as I fired behind me. My tank wobbled into sight, barrel facing backwards and the loading ramp down. The real battle screen off, rounds that got by me sparked off the armor of the tank. I could see the interior of my faithful tank, Timekeeper, and galloped up the ramp. I let go of the rifle, letting the auto-sling pull its tight against my right forward flank as I threw myself against the gunner's sight, lifting my cybernetic hoof. The shot lined up, aimed at the scarred and battered chassis of the lead robot. You! I stumped on the firing bar. The Terran enhanced Lanctalan plasma munition Mark IV detonated. The loader whined as I lifted my hoof. The back deck loading ramp was whining as it closed. Shell! I stomped the bar again. The loading ramp was almost halfway up. Not! Again. The loading ramp thumped into place. Pause! I fired the final shot as Malkar goosed the fans. 
We sped after the convoy as I used my gunner's sight to scan the skies. We've got them all, most I had them all, the matron medic's rough voice told me. 19th Evac is landing a dropship medivac in the reef at Point Delta. They're bringing in someone called Manpads. We'll go there, I said. I was trembling with exhaustion as I waited for the gunner's couch to move into position. When it did, I collapsed into it, breathing heavy. I rested my head against the gunner's sight, even as I kept my eyes open and watched. My still biological eyes felt grainy, thick, like slightly abrasive gum was filling every time I blinked. Within half an hour, we reached the reef foot point and Malkor set the tank down. I kicked the button and the loading ramp whined down as I got up from the gunner's couch. I staggered out, looking at the bus that the Terrans were running onto. I watched as the wounded were taken from the bus onto the heavy, brutal-looking dropship. It was all black and looked almost unfinished, as if the designers had stopped before doing any cosmetic work and said, Meh, good enough. Perhaps, it to the Terrans, it was aesthetically pleasing. A Hamarusan female, barely a teenager, marched up to me, her hands clenched. I bet you think you're some big damn hero, she snarled. I shook my head. You needed me days ago, and I was not there. She seemed taken aback for a second, but she clenched a door. Riding around in your tank like some kind of lord and high, while we're fighting and dying in the tunnels, she snarled. Malcolm started to step up, a Hamarusan female of all the years next to him, you don't know what you're... The Hammerusen woman said. I held up my hand. Let her speak. Where were you when we needed you? She yelled. Where were you when the clankers came? I stayed silent. She did not want to hear my words. She needed me. She needed the world to hear her. To hear her pain. Where were you? Where was the vaunted great herd? She screamed at me, rushing forwards. Her little fists hit my armored chest as she pounded on me. Tears running down her eyes. Where were you when they killed my sisters and mother and father and little brothers? Her knees buckled and she wilted, crumbling to the ground. I knelt down, putting my arms around her. She tried to push me away, crying, weeping. But I held her tight, rocking her side to side. I am here, little one, I told her as I stood up, lifting her. I carried her towards the medical tent. I am here now, and I will not let them harm you as long as I live. It started raining, thick, gummy black rain. There was a faint flash, a rumble, and the treetops swayed as I pushed into the tent and handed off the girl. That was holding onto me so tight that the matron and the doctor had to pry her arms off of me. I headed back to my tank. Stopped to grab an ammo block for to replace the half-used one and the eight grenades instead of four. The tank trembled beneath my hooves as I mounted the loading ramp and clattered to my gunner's couch. The tank rumbled as we led the way back into the city, the rest of the convoy following me. There were more who needed me as she had needed me. Excerpt. We were the Lanclan of the Atomic Hooves. A memoir. Chapter 408 He's trying to get behind us. Get on him, Malkor! Get on him! I yelled, my face pressed tight to the wall and flattened foam surrounding my gunner's sight, welding my helmet's visor to it. I'm trying, Malkor snarled, 
his feet moving as he shifted the balance of the fans to slide as the sight harder. One of the precursor companion vessels got a clear shot at us as we slid past a pile of rubble that had been a furniture store. The heavy grazer's shot caught us in a glancing blow, collapsing the starboard battle screen. The trees we had strapped to the side exploded outwards, the violent blasts sending burning and charred chunks of wood fountaining into the sky. But the armor howled. Malkar's maneuver knocked down several of the smaller units, smaller than a Talcan female, and the tank's weight crushed them. There was some clattering noises as one of them hung up on a fan, but the pitch changed and I knew the fan was still running. Almost, I crooned, my foot above the firing lever. Another precursor machine fired, taking advantage of full meter rotating up and powering new battle screen projector calls. The lighter machines that we were in the middle of were ripping at us with lasers too weak to do anything more than light up the air between us. The sandbags that were hit by the heavy lasers sagged slightly, pebbles of glass falling from the charred bags, but nothing else. The lasers concentrated on that supposed weakness, but nothing happened. Malkar found a little bit of speed and my sight slid over the massive precursor, the size of two double-decker buses end on end. The tank rocked as we ran over something slightly larger, bumbling my sight, but it leveled out just at the right time. Shot out! I stomped the lever and the plasma grunt roared, heat backwashing into the crew compartment. Even though my Terran made armor, I could feel the heat rise. The plasma shot, the enhanced Lanaclan plasma cannon round Mark IV, hit square where the two articulated body sections met. The ravening pseudo-matter detonated on the armor caving it in. Shut out! I fired into the hellish blames at first shot. The precursor machine kept turning, but the weapons stopping fire. The battle screens collapsed. It had begun crushing its own smaller brethren. One of the two companions fired at our back deck, but we were past the shot streaming past us to hit the dead one even as Malkal spun us in place, dragging the front right in a cell to pull us around faster than we would have normally been able to move. The one that I just fired came into my sights just as a third fired again. The copula rang, and the armor held. Shot out! I stomped the bar, and the precursor fired. The forward battle screen collapsed, and the wood on the front of the tank exploded, blinding me for a second. But my sight cleared, and I stomped the bar again. Shot out! The second one exploded in place as full Minta cried out in victory. The battle screen on the port side spun up, even as she rotated up a new set of calls for the forward screen, and Malkor slid us forward even as we rotated. The third one fired at the exact time as I stomped the bar. Shot! I started, my durochrome hoof stomping down on the bar. My shot hit it before it could withdraw its missile launchers, the plasma hitting perfectly. The missile bay was suddenly filled with the stuff that makes up stars, even as it started to reload from automated systems. The precursor exploded as its missile stalls detonated. Then, it was our turn. The missiles screamed in, almost two-thirds of them picked off by the point of fence. Twenty got through, impacting the remaining logs and sandbags. Burning wood exploded from the front of our tanks. Dirt and sand blew out in the cone. The lasers played over the armor, seeking any place where the superconductor layer didn't dissipate the heat fast enough. The two heavy mass drivers fired, 
one ripping off all the sandbags from the top of the copula and snapping off the TC's weapon. The other hit the four glasses and the turret square, most of the energy directed away by the slot of the armor. For the most part, the armor held. For the most part. The run panels inside the crew cab exploded, a bright lance went through the crew compartment, and Fulminta screamed. Malkor cried out in his digital savior. I cried out in pain and terror. Lucilu screamed from an EW panel as it exploded in her face. Garrelesh howled in agony. Shrapnel scythed through the cab's panels, exploded, screens imploded, and part of the armor detonated into the cab. Flames roared up around us even as I heard two fans go dead. The internal fire suppression went off, burning the cab with inert noble gas in a sudden rush, even as the ventilation system suddenly cut off. The hull rang on the port side as munitions got through the battle screen and impacted against the wood and sandbags, but the inner lining held. Malkar kept us moving, cursing, snarling, biting off the words savagely as he steered us. Cycling up projectors, Valminta gagged. I could see a dull red light of burning city streaming through the hole in the copula big enough for a talcon to crawl through. The last one slid into sight. Shot out, I yelled, and I stamped the bar. All I got back was a beeping, barely audible over the waning alarms. The gun was empty. A look showed me that there were still 22 rounds in the ammo locker. I stomped the loading pedal. It beeped back. The precursor fired again, the missile slicing out. Point defense got all but two, and those exploded against the battle screen that had just started to spin up. I changed my grip, grabbing the controls for the coax, opening fire with the Terran 20mm auto cannon. The whole cab was full of smoke and white mist, but a glance showed me that the majority of my crew's vitals were yellow and green. Karalash was flashing red. Not X'd out, just flashing red. I filed away the data as I hammered the precursor vehicle with heavy kinetic rounds so favored by the Terran Confederacy. Another shot hit and the hull next to me suddenly acquired a slide down that a good half meter wide and two meters long. My suit's medical alarm started waning. Here comes the rain! Fulminta yelled out over the data links. The tank's commo system was dead. Karalash regained consciousness, shaking his head. He slapped the controls on the hatch for the gunner's assistant seat popped open. He grabbed a bag of antimatter grenades from the floor, where they were thankfully still sat, undetonated, as his seat rose up. Transponder, squawking, blue called out from the EW station. The tank was showering sparks, the rear end dragging as I kept firing from the coax. The Terran's rounds were shredding the armor, blowing huge craters in it, ripping it away. To reveal... More armor. Back! Pull back! Karalash coughed as his seat lifted him high enough to grab one of the secondary guns. It was dead. Local control only. The computer linkage out. Mark all through the tank in reverse, ignoring the hover skirts and the rear plenum chambers folding back and shredding, even as he applied full power to lift us up far enough to move. Computer-guided terminal guidance artillery rounds began raining down, hitting the smaller machines that my tank had been able to ignore. Huge founts of alloys, concrete, ferrocrete, dirt, and burning rubble fountained into the air as the thermobaric rounds detonated. Karalash reached into the bag with both hands, did something, and then slung the bag overhand at the precursor vehicle. It landed between us, even as I raked its forward sensors. 
Karalash grabbed a handle on the hatch, yanking it down after him as he dropped into the tank. One of the return shots hit the hatch before it got closed, snatching it from his hand, hitting the twisted and wrecked missile pod and blowing it apart. Shrapnel howled through the cab, clanking off metal. Karalash fell to the floor, limp, his icon still steady red, but no axe. The precursor machine rushed forward. Through the falling artillery shells, they were detonating around us, the terminal guidance systems IDing our transponders and steering the rounds away from us. Fulminta gave another cry of victory, and I saw the forward battle screen spin up as I kept raking the forward glasses of the precursor machine as it rushed us, even as Malkor sped us backwards. The grenades detonated under the precursor machine, breaking it in half. The white flare of antimatter snapping out again and again as they went off beneath the weakest point of the armor. Malkor dropped the tank onto the ground and full meter ramped up the battle screens. We turtled up in the artillery rain, the battle screen snarling from the blooms of plasma, the shockwaves of superheated air, and the shrapnel. But the battle screens howled. I coughed and looked around. The tank was finished. Fulminta had a medical kit open and she unbuckled from his seat, half falling, kneeling next to Karalash. She ran the scanner over him and started putting out syringes based on color coding and markings. Loose Lu pinged me and I opened the channel. Got an SAR team coming in. My board is all over me. I'm injured, most high, she said. How badly? I asked. I fear I might have to wipe my ass with a hook, she said, bitter humor in her voice. Do so gingerly, I advised. She snorted as I changed the channels. Malkar, status. The tank is, he started. To the digital garbage pile with the tank. What is your status? I snapped. Hard to breathe, but the suit's medical kit is keeping me from being in pain, he said. No missing limbs, no missing tail, or your eyes there, I asked. No, most I... My suit is telling me I have broken chest rings, uh, that is all, he said. Relax, Malkar, I do not believe our tank will be going anywhere, told him. The data link pinked as I switched. Valminta, how is he? I asked. Bad. He's stable now, thank the digital Omni Messiah for the Terran medical kits that the matron insisted we take, Valminta said. He lost a hand and part of his forearm, internal injuries. His armor held though. And you? I asked. I will miss my tail, she said softly. Very well, as they are on the way, I told them. I clicked through the channels until I got to the recovery vehicle. Vulcrit, this is how Alamar are. Do you read? Over. I read you most time, the Enkaroon said. We're on our way, a half mile out if your transponder is still attached to your tank. I chuckled. I believe it is. How Alamar out. He sat in the dark tank as the breeze moved through it. The black rain dripped through the gaps with a faint flash followed by a rumble. I heard impacts on the ground and there came a knocking on the hull. 13th evac SAR, came the loudspeaker projected voice. We are here, I called back. We have wounded one badly. The loading ramps jammed, we'll have to pry it open, the speaker said. I do not think it'll matter much in the grand scheme of things, I told the speaker. Heavy gauntlets pushed through the gap, the battle steel flexing and bending away. The hands pulled open the back loading deck, where it fell to the ground with a crash. The logs covering it were smoking from a hit that we'd taken and not even realized. The armors looked fearsome, despite the fact that they were silver. They took Malkor and Karalash first, hurrying them out of the grab stretches. 
I watched as they loaded Fulminta and Luusalu onto stretchers and carried them out. One of the armored medics knelt down next to me, looking me over. Are you trapped, or is your armor breached? He asked, playing a white light over the anti-spalling liner that curled over my rear legs. Trapped, I believe, I told him. I've been holding still and trying not to give in to panic. The face shield nodded. All right, let's count this away. I held still while the heavy fusion torch built into the medic's armor cut away the liner. I fell to the floor and the pressure over my rear legs eased. Don't move yet, the medic told me. He scanned me again. There was no beep and he put his scanner down where my abdomen met my lower torso. No cardiac events. Your heart was beating pretty hard, but that's to be expected in combat. He shook his head. You should still be in recovery with how recent that cardiac cybernetic implant is. This is duty I must perform, I said stiffly. I get you. All right, let's get you out of here, he said. He cut through the jammed armrests and helped me out of the seat. I trotted down the ramp just as the recovery vehicle pushed its way through the wreckage, backing up. Bulkrete was half out of the driver's hatch, waving at me as he slowly came to a stop. The medivac striker lifted off, my loyal crew out of the fight, and I sat down on the ramp. I popped open my face shield and slowly unwrapped a goody yum-yum bar, the matron smiling at me. There was a joke printed on the inside of the wrapper. One cannibal looks to another and says, Does this comedian taste funny? The crude, horrific joke made me bray out laughter as I sat on the loading ramp, surrounded by destroyed precursor machines. Volkrit moved up to me and patted my shoulder. How are you holding up, must I? he asked. Much better now, I said, holding up the bar. The sweet, doughy outside was delicious, and the berry gelatin interior was crisp-tasting and delicious. Those bars are the best, he agreed. He waved his hands. All right, crew, let's hook up the most high's tank. Three hulking Technon adults exited the vehicle, two grabbing heavy cables and putting them along. A third carried heavy graviton lifters over to magnetically attach them to the tank. These guys were maintenance workers at one of the factories. I kind of told them that they work for me now. The Inkaroon rubbed the top of his head where a short fur was growing in. I need a crewman. I approve, I told him. I took another bite and held it in my mouth, touching it with the feeding tendrils, absorbing the taste and texture. I closed my eyes, even my two cyber eyes, and relished the sensation. Hooked up, boss, the Tacnan said, slapping his hands together. I opened my eyes and saw another one was bringing over a pack of brown bottles that I recognized as Narco Brew. Bulkrit grabbed one, opened it, and handed it to me, then grabbed one for himself. The three Tacnan each grabbed a bottle cracking them open with a snap fizz of good quality knocker brew. We sat on the back deck, drinking the thick beer, as strikers roared overhead. Four times, there was a faint flash of faraway atomic blasts. Those Terrans can fight, boss, one of the Tocnons rumbled. Never seen anyone got the precursors like that. Bolkrit nodded. Damn crazy lemurs, but they make good food bars and knocker brew. We fell back into silence until the knocker brews were done. I think I'll sit on my tank, I said. Sure thing, boss. Be about an hour drive back anyway, Volkrit said. He tossed me the last narcobrew. Drink up, boss. I climbed clumsily around the front of my tank, my cybernetic hoof clanking on the damaged battle steel. I sat down and cracked open the bottle, staring at the wreckage around me as Volkrit began towing my tank back to the base. 
Time flowed by slowly, and I avoided thinking by staring at the surroundings, but actually looking at nothing. I finished the narcobrew and threw the bottle into the ruins, seeing it bounce twice before shattering. I opened up another goody yum yum bar. Why can't you trust atoms? They make up everything. I got another braying laugh from me. We were moving through a section of the city that had cleared days before. The habs all collapsed when I spotted her. She ran out into the street waving a cloth, stumbling and almost falling as she chased after us. Volkrit, stop the vehicle, I ordered, standing up. I jumped down, almost collapsing from the shock of jumping from such a height, and trotted up to her. I held my rifle in my hands and watched around myself with all six eyes. Please, help us. She, she, she can't move anymore. She won't wake up. The little immature female cemetery cried out as I got close. She, she's too heavy for us to move. I could see her fur was singed and bloodstained. She had bandages and what looked like medical gel on her patches. Please, Novacia, help us, she cried out. Lead me to her, little one, I ordered. We, we covered her up with the hood of the car, she told me. I kept close watch around us. I would not be fooled. There was a lot of wreckage and many precursor infantry robots around, even three of the heavier combat machines burning nearby. It looked like they had put up the hood of a vehicle over the top part of a robot. Massively thick legs stuck out from under the hood. Powerful hands. One holding a heavy thick stubber with a bird of prey done up on a golden on the side. Around the covered prone figure were two dozen cemetery females, most of them holding tiny versions of themselves. I grabbed the hood and threw it to the side. Her face was severely pale. I could see her skull where three heavy divots had blown bone out in a crater. I could not see her brain, but the divots blown out of her skull probably did not mean anything good for her. She had long, flowing blonde hair. Her eyes were closed, blue around the corners of her mouth and nose. But she was still breathing heavily. Blood was running from her nose. We can't pull her, Overseer. She's too heavy, one of the Semtray girls said. It was a Terran over three meters tall, entirely clad in heavy, thick plates of armor. There was a bird of prey on her chest, just as it was on the weapon, the wall steel smoldering white inside it fury. She had a torch in each shoulder, and the torch was smoldering, and what looked like some kind of ejector system on her hip. I'll bet she is, I said softly. I turned on my data link. Mulcrit, get the grav dolly and a power lifter. We've got a Terran heavy power armor troop down and unconscious. All right, boss, Mulcrit answered. I knelt down, staring at the Terran. She was beautiful, in a coldly angry kind of way. She faintly smelled of incense and scorched wall steel. The two Tuknan came through the rubble, putting a grab dolly with a power lifter at the end. What is that? One of them asked. It's a she, not a what? One of the Simtray snapped. Yeah, one of the smaller ones holding it tight to her back added. A Terran, I said. Huh. Okay, boss, one said. Be careful with her, another Semtray female added. They carefully moved her onto the dolly. She was too heavy for the two muscular Tachnan to move by themselves, so they used the lifter system. I glanced at the gauge and saw that she weighed just over two tons. Follow me, I ordered, and I pushed the grab dolly myself, my prosthetic hoof striking sparks as I walked. What happened to your foot, overseer? One asked. Precursor blew it off, I told her. And I am no one's overseer. Call me Halima or little one. 
Oh, she said. I watched as the little ones climbed into the recovery vehicle, then took a hook chain and attached the grab dolly to my tank so that we could tow the wounded Terran. One of the Tacnon came around to help me and hand me another knocker brew. I sat back on the front armor, took out another goody yum yum bar and began to eat, sipping at the knocker brew as I read the wrapper. Why was the burglar so emotional? He took things personally. I braid laughter as the black rain fell around me. Excerpt from We Were the Lanark Land of the Atomic Hooves, a memoir. Just a quick shout out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Bezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Ashtraya the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.